Hey guys, welcome to episode 39 of Bono Stuff. I had the pleasure to interview one of my old professors from Long Island University, Brooklyn, Dr. Evangelos Papas. Hence, I have Big Papa playing in the background every time I said his name. It made me think of, he loves it when you call him Big Papa. Um, hopefully, that is not a reference that goes over your head. <laughs> uh, we had a really great conversation about a lot of things physical therapy he is in the education space so talking about um how the future of physical therapy education might look the current state of it uh and a lot of other fun things so i hope you guys enjoyed the conversation uh one of our favorite professors back at liu and uh hopefully again you guys get something out of it feel free to leave reviews comments likes interact any way you can it really helps us grow and uh hope you have an awesome day enjoy the show with your accent um <laughs> all right guys we are live here with bono stuff with uh one of my professors back in the day many years ago i won't tell you what year that was um from long island university in brooklyn he is now a professor and associate dean at the university of wollongong wollongong is that how we say it wollongong in Australia, uh, and his last name is Papas, hence the Big E, I love it when you call me Big Papas, is what I would always say whenever we had his class. So here we are, thank you for being on. I should have promoted this better to our LIU alum uh, groups, but we'll, we'll have to post it later for them. Um, how are you doing down there, down under, in the land down under? Yeah, I'm doing, doing great. Uh, lovely to see you again after yeah. all these years. Thanks for bringing back all these memories from LIU. <laughs> good, good time. Yeah. Sorry, my dog is trying to play with me here. Uh, the the problems with going live sometimes. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's great to have you on. And uh, for those listening, um, Professor Papas is uh, an ex expert on PT education and ACL injuries. And I happen to have an ACL injury. Uh, I tore my ACL in 2008 my first year of practicing. So there is the dates, if anyone's paying attention, um, of, I graduated in May, uh, and I was in my first real job. And within my first month, I played in a pickup football game and the video is actually available. I was going to stream it live as we talked about it. Um, but we'll get to the ACL in a bit. And yeah, I played in this two hand touch pickup football game for Thanksgiving with a bunch of my high school buddies and, um, someone decided to take out my knee. So I had an ACL surgery, which made practicing physical therapy a little more challenging, but I did learn a lot about ACLs and uh, again, a good way to expedite the learning process. So uh, we, I'm excited to talk about kind of the, where we are with ACL research. Has it changed much in the last 20 years um, and that kind of thing. But yeah, wh wh tell us a little bit about, again, what's going on with you? What are you, what courses are you teaching? What, what, where's your passion? Are you doing research? Yeah, well, I, at the moment, I don't teach any courses. Um, mm. Part of my job is to uh, at the University of Wollongong, where I just started actually three weeks ago. So that's another thing we have in common, Bo, that we both moved uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, yeah, three, exactly uh, three weeks ago, we just landed in Colorado. So exactly. So my um, main job here is to, uh, the university here is developing a health and well-being precinct. Uh, so I've been working with the rest of the team to uh, look at uh, how we can integrate uh, academic education with the clinical placement there, develop new courses that blend uh, potentially engineering and health and technology and uh, trying to harness all the power that comes with the primary healthcare facility uh, and uh, translate that into better education for our students. So we're still at the very beginning of this journey. Uh, so hopefully I'll have more to report in, in a couple of years. Um, and right before that, so for the eight years Prior to that, I was at uh, the University of Sydney, just uh, you know, 40, 50 miles uh, north of here, um, where, I, where I was the head of physiotherapy for the last three years. And there I was teaching the musculoskeletal physical therapy uh, uh, courses, um, pretty similar to what I was teaching at LIU back in the day. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I want to hear more about this, the primary care kind of program. So are you, is it mostly focused for physical therapists to be able to screen red flags? No, you're shaking your head. No, it's, no? it's, it's not only physiotherapy. Oh, okay. It's 
hopefully it will be so but it's much broader so it's a it's a facility uh that that is more holistic in terms of primary health care uh mm -hmm. anything from mental health you know practically mm -hmm. anything non-surgical so it's, a, it's gonna be a one-stop shop uh where uh because as, as i'm sure you may have talked in your podcast before one of the issues particularly in the united states but probably everywhere in the world is that healthcare is pretty fragmented uh so you go to see your gp who then may send you to uh mm -hmm. you know, diagnostic facilities or our specialist uh and uh and, and they don't integrate very well uh right. in australia we have the electronic health records but again the uptake mm. of that has been somewhat uh, uh mixed uh but this facility the the vision at this point is that you go there and then starting from the gp all the way to uh seeing a particular specialist uh, it will happen at one place everything will be integrated there's going to be a, a big emphasis on prevention Mm -hmm. um lifestyle changes uh, serving nice. the local community so so yeah it's a, it's a it's an ambitious uh plan yeah we really hope to move I, forward i mean i love i love everything you just said i mean that's basically where my practice has shifted in the last few years and that's literally the the terminology i'm using at this point i just had a few calls with a few different business consultants of lifestyle coaching is more what I'm doing, which which is uh, again nut nutrition, recovery, rest. Is your bedroom set up the right way? Kind of health mm -hmm. coach is the other term. I'm curious. Have you heard of and or read Unconventional Medicine by Chris Cresser? Yeah. Have you heard of that book? It, it talks about a lot of the uh, problems. Chris Cresser is actually a licensed acupuncturist, but mm -hmm. he has a, a functional medicine program, educational kind of component, and he tries to work with people in the, the, you know, associated medical space to teach them some of these health coach concepts that again, if you can invest $4,000 in a health coach over the next four months, um, it's going to save you hundreds of thousands and the, the medical system, hundreds of thousands of dollars down the line. Again, what is the cost of a year of diabetes treatments, right? They, they estimate that at, you know, I think $75,000 a year kind of thing. Um, just, just alone on, on that. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the medical systems definitely are not very integrated. Um, I'm also another book that I'm curious if you heard of is deep medicine is actually my, my current audio book. You heard of that one. Um, and that one, <laughs> that one, he doesn't have time to read books, folks. Um, <laughs> that's okay. Um, and, and that one's a little bit more about how artificial intelligence is being integrated into the medical system and, and where is it falling short? where are the potentials to utilize it again are there going to be mistakes in radiology can an artificial intelligence system uh read radiographs better than a radiologist um and so they're they're still you know kind of neck and neck in terms of human error versus being able to teach machines how to do that and so uh, it seems uh i'm still making my way through that book so that's an interesting one um, but yeah this whole wellness concept integrated medicine i would love to talk so much more about that because that's very in line with again a lot of a lot of the work i do um with my clients and i i definitely find and it's it's a tough sell for me as well to talk to somebody um uh, and say again if you if you invest four thousand dollars with me right now um i'm gonna save you a couple hundred thousand dollars and a couple of injuries and possibly surgeries all down the line so you know i, I try to use the analogies of investing in your physical retirement fund, your 401k. So uh, mm -hmm. things like that. So um, yeah. yeah. The difference is that 401ks are somewhat mandatory, you know, so I think that's the challenge, um, you know, in the sense that you, you know, you're hired and then part of your money or, they, or what your employer is contributing goes towards your retirement plan. So part of the challenge is that all this makes lots of sense, just that healthcare systems uh, and some more than others, they're no designed to reimburse people for the yeah. type of work. Right. So that is the challenge that we're facing at this point. Yeah, of course, you know, uh, uh, coaching people how to adapt a, 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 a healthier lifestyle is going to save a lot of money, but mm -hmm. you know, but also beyond that, beyond the finances, uh, living without diabetes, as you mentioned. Uh, the right, the quality of life yeah. and... Mm -hmm. Just yeah. the challenges are, are, are at reimbursement at this point, I think. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully enough loud voices will, will rise to the occasion and uh, things will change. But um, yeah, you know, you mentioned that I don't read books, which is probably true, but I've been reading, <laughs> promised, I've been reading Promised Land for the last, you know, it's a okay. fake book yeah. for the last few weeks. Uh, so I, ah, I listened, I, I downloaded that back in, uh, right before election day. Okay. Cause, yeah. And it, I just finished it about a week or two ago. 
It took a while. About healthcare reform, you know, even some of the rather incremental reform that was done, which again, you know, very much in the right direction that was done mm -hmm. at this point. Just uh, uh, look and remembering, because I think we're both old enough to remember those times when the healthcare reform was uh, was attempted. <laughs> Um, that it was it was very difficult. Uh, so politically, you know, particularly in the United States, is a, is a bit of a minefield. Um, but again, hopefully, um, more evidence will be produced and we'll start moving in this direction. Yeah, uh, I guess a good question for you, having lived in in the U.S. and now in Australia, can you speak to some of the differences in the? Uh, you know, they have the National Health Service, or they call it something mm -hmm. similar, socialized medicine. If you will, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know how to say it politely because you know you. I you, I promise that I'm not going to be too controversial. But <laughs> there, is huge, there is a huge difference in the yeah. uh, healthcare system, but also the fact that that uh, insurance is not tied to your employer mm. uh, is very liberating. Uh, so yeah, obviously, people here don't go into medical bankruptcy because they got into an accident. Right. Uh, they don't stay with employers just because they can take the health care. It's, it's two separate things, right? So there is everybody who's a permanent resident or a citizen. They're covered by uh, Medicare, which is the, name mm -hmm. of the uh, national uh, uh, health care uh, uh, system. And I think about half of the people also have private insurance, mm -hmm. uh, which then you know, has two tiers. One is that if you go into a hospital, you have the choice to go into a private hospital and private room. Uh, well, the other part of the private insurance covers uh, physiotherapy and acupuncture and massage and things like that. Um, so again, you know, they're very different system. And uh, yeah, I can, I can certainly tell you that uh, people are not complaining as much here about the <laughs> as they are in the United States. And right. we don't hear of these uh, really tragic stories. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely been talked about a ton. And, and again, I don't know when things will change. There's so much money involved in, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the the capitalist society that we live in here of, of, yeah, again, there's a lot of money to be made in keeping people sick. Um, and again, uh, you know, we can speak about taking control of our own uh, destiny and, and, you know, starting to look into what does the research say. And it's very confusing space if you're not spending hours or finding folks who kind of do that research on their own. Um, but yeah, for me, like I talk to people about basic lifestyle, daily things that won't get concept of getting 1% better every day of, are you drinking enough water? You know, mm -hmm. let's talk about what you're eating. Let's talk about your rest and recovery. Um, what are your management techniques for stress? If somebody cuts you off um, or, or, you know, in traffic, what, you know, are you able to breathe through that? How do you breathe? Most people breathe wrong, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's looking at some of these things, but it's how do we balance creating this on a global scale or a much bigger scale, or do we need to, like you said, uh, you know, scream it from the, the rooftops or can we just keep reaching people one at a time, um, and, and making those changes kind of impactful. That's what my practice has become. I want to be as loud as I can be. And I hope, you know, I put information like this out on podcasts and people are like, oh, that makes sense. And like, let me hear more about that and let me see what I can do. Uh, the same thing with like regenerative farming, you know, people talk about meat and vegans and all these different things. But for me, it comes down to, yeah, we can be, we can do better. Um, and, and if you vote with your dollars, you vote with what you buy. So if you're buying grass fed beef versus, you know, uh, traditional, uh, feed farm, unhealthy kind of practice meat, that's a big difference. Instead of talking about all meat is evil, all meat is bad for you. Um, you know, regenerative farming actually has a negative carbon footprint. So anyway, I don't want to drift too far down that path. Yeah, um, that's definitely way outside my area of expertise. <laughs> you know so much more about it, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be educated. So, <laughs> well, this is about educating me. I want you, I, you yeah, know, it's so bonus stuff. Then, then we have to talk about other things, but <laughs> I have um, nothing to contribute to that other than say that uh, you, you are loud enough. <laughs> So thank you, you. Do, you know, thank, thank you and thank you for being loud because, you know, I do think that we need some social change. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully and, and, you know, there's just it's a lot of things to fight against um, of Shakeology and, uh, you know, things that have a lot of money behind it, like mm -hmm. uh, the Game Changers film on Netflix that had James Cameron and Arnold Schwarzenegger behind it. And to me, there was I don't know if you watch that film. Uh, but there was a lot of pseudoscience and they presented a lot of little uh, 
science as fact and you know they would do oh here eat this chicken and uh chicken burrito and then they would draw their blood and show that the blood was cloudy and say oh look chicken is bad for you because the blood is cloudy and and it was it was just it's mind-boggling but it's it's very captivating if you don't know differences mm -hmm. in you know what is your blood supposed to look like when you draw it from a vial or you know a lot of it was very pseudoscientific so but that's what we're fighting against. And that's, those are the things that are very compelling. It's produced by James Cameron, one of the most successful producers of all time, whose wife happens to own a pea protein company. You know, whatever, we're not gonna go down that path. But anyway, back to you, sir, while we have you here. Let's talk, let's shift over to PT education, because mm -hmm. uh, that's one of your expertises. Um, I still remember giving a speech at my graduation in 2008. And I remember you kind of looking at me funny of, uh, did I, I was debating between saying academics and academicians because I couldn't say that second one. So uh, in terms of PT education, um, how do you feel again, I guess, between where has it evolved? Where are we now? Are there still some major problems? How do you feel about the differences between the Australian systems and, and again, having traveled versus the American system? What are those are, those are the questions people want to know. Um. Yeah, you know, we go way back. So PT education has changed a lot. Uh, and, and of course, in the last year, it has changed uh, the equivalent of what it would normally change in 20 or 30 years. Uh, so we use, you know, obviously, the, the, we have been using incrementally more technology uh, over the last decade or so. Uh, and, and this has worked well because, you know, we can utilize videos and interactive, you know, uh, uh, sessions online and so on and so forth. Uh, uh, the online management systems have evolved, they have become much more user-friendly. So practically, you know, I would say in, in, the, in, in most countries there is, uh, the, the courses have been supplemented by some form of online education. But of course, last year happened and COVID and uh, in the majority of the world, we could not teach face-to-face -face and, and, and that was the same in Australia and the United States. Um, now, in Australia, we went back in the middle of last year just because, you know, it has been controlled extremely well here and it was safe and with the appropriate measures, we uh, resumed some face-to-face -face teaching. But one thing has become clear and I think that is uh, more or less a consensus across the physical therapy education community worldwide, and that is that um, we have been underutilizing technology uh, prior to COVID. So, we realized in the last year that we can teach so much more online and in many ways it's better. So my sense is that uh, when things will return back to normal in terms of the pandemic, uh, we will still, uh, you, a lot of the lessons we learned in the, in, during the pandemic, we're still gonna keep uh, uh, utilizing some of the uh, technological advances that we made. Um, to a large extent, there is no need for these very large lectures uh, where somebody speaks for two hours and becomes rather, you know, occasionally boring and sometimes uh, less interactive. Uh, while chunking some of the lectures has worked quite well. Uh, uh, and then the lectures uh, tend to be a bit more manageable for the listener, but also at the same time, you can test what they know by popping in an online quiz there. Uh, or some videos that they can check at the same time. So a lot, lot. So we have realized that we can teach much more uh, in terms of PT education online than we thought before. Of course, the other lesson, and that is different between different disciplines, but in physiotherapy, it's, it's, it's quite clear. I think everybody who has been to be a, phys to a physical therapist can attest to that. Is that uh, we cannot teach everything online. So you know. PT education cannot be fully online. There will still be a pretty large part of it that has to be hands-on, face-to-face. Mm -hmm. um, so now it, it, I think the next step of the evolution is, uh, is, is finding the right balance there, um, you know, in terms of the online versus the face-to-face -face education and how these two can integrate better and, and then uh, maximize um, uh, teaching the students more effectively, more efficiently, but also uh, in ways that are cost-effective uh, and sensitive to the challenges that we may have. Um, so, so that is one big part of physical therapy education. 
Now, the other big part, and that is becoming the WCPT, is, is becoming more involved with that, as far as I can tell, with the task force. That's the World, uh, World Congress of Physical Therapy, yes. Physical Therapy, yes. Yeah, so for that's anyone the, listening. <laughs> that's right, uh, who's not a PT. So, you know, if you are an APTA member, so if you are an Australia, American uh, Physical Therapy Association member, then you're automatically part of the WCPT because the APTA is under this uh, umbrella of WCPT, and the same with the APA in Australia and so on and so forth, um, is that um, there is a lot of variability across countries, you know, even mm -hmm. if you look at, you know, Western Europe and you know, North America and then Australia, which, you know, they, they, there is some a lot of similarities in this healthcare system sometimes, but also in, uh, in, in, in university education, is that there's still a lot of variability there. Mm -hmm. um, so you both, with your you know, very prestigious DPT from Long Island University, um, to come to Australia, you'll have to jump through a lot of hoops in order to mm -hmm. be able to practice. Uh, and similarly, some of you know, the University of Sydney graduates, uh, PT graduates that we had here to practice in the United States, you know, it will, it will be extremely difficult, even though the reputation of both of these courses, you know, the LIU and the University of Sydney is really exceptional. Um, so I, I, um, can, I can speak to that firsthand when I went to Dubai and opened a gym in Dubai in uh, okay. the United Arab Emirates and tried to practice there. Uh, again, there was a lot of, of hoops to jump through, and unless you meet the right person who can pull a lot of strings for you, like a lot of other countries, I guess, although it seems uh, there's a little more of that, you know, network, if you will, uh, in the Middle East. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, I ended up not practicing physical therapy in Dubai. We can, we can leave it go. at that. And that is a, uh, the challenge that, uh, that limits the mobility of PTs worldwide, mm -hmm. and, and and that's a lot for the profession, you know, because people are you know moving to different parts of the world for either for a limited periods of time or they or, or, or more permanently, mm -hmm. um, and then they cannot practice uh, mainly because of bureaucracy rather than quality. Yeah. Of course, you know you have to make sure that the, the criteria in terms of the academic criteria they're met. Um, but, uh, you know, very frequently they are met. It's just that the paperwork and the amount of time and money they have to spend is a, is a, a deterrent, uh, yeah. as it sounds, was in your case. Um, so so that is, these are the two main issues that I think, you know, just looking globally at PT uh, education. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I have, I have like two or three questions I want to touch on that and, and we'll focus, I guess, on more of the Australian and, and American models that uh, you and I are both familiar with. So one, and, and I'm involved with a, uh, a few of these conversations on the Twitter world, Twitter sphere, hashtag PT Twitter, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. And so some of the more common questions that come up is, as a PT now, I've been out for 13, this is my 13th year of practice, I guess. Um, would I recommend folks enter the profession now? If somebody comes to me, a, a college graduate, and they come to me and say, hey, do you think I should enter this field that you've spent the last 13 years in? Um, in America here, at least, uh, in terms of the cost of education, and to your point, is it cheaper now that you know we can do a lot more telehealth that COVID has forced? Um, no, <laughs> not cheaper at all. And But compare that to salaries salaries have not changed if not anything if, if anything they've actually gone down uh mm -hmm. since i graduated in 2008 so starting salary for pts is going to be in that 60 to seventy thousand dollar range here in america um again reimbursements are getting worse every year uh, again i've shifted away to the cash model myself i don't want to work for anyone i don't want to deal with having to explain stuff to insurance companies and say, oh, well, their range of motion went from 10 degrees to 11 degrees to 12 degrees, to, you know, and, and continue to have those like letters of ne medical necessity. And again, those systems are in place for good reason. Um, I understand why they're in place. And again, a lot of bureaucracy, but I guess that's the question I will pose to you. This is the most controversial thing maybe we'll say, hopefully is would you recommend based on current salaries, versus cost of getting that degree. And it cost me at least $100,000 to oh. get my degree. Again, coming out of school, my I was in New York City where I was able to, I had some good opportunities um, and, and I lucked out and worked at uh, places like Hospital for Special Surgery. And, and I was able to uh, get some good jobs and again, start to build some side hustles and do some stuff like that, where again, my I was able to pay off my, my $100,000 in student debt 
a year or two ago, so maybe 10 years out of school, which is probably ahead of the curve. When it comes to that, some people do that for over 20, 30 years. Mm. So anyway, my question to you, oh, sir. It's a, it's a major obstacle. And again, yeah. you know, that's something that, and I think you, you touched upon the main elements there. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about, uh, you know, healthcare systems and frequently not making sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, reimbursement is a, is a major issue. And then on the other hand, the cost of education is going up. Uh, so tuition is going up every year. And then paying for a four-year undergraduate degree plus mm -hmm. a three-year DPT, you know, especially if you do that at, at private universities, that is a very big investment. Now, one side note here that I want to make, because you know, I guess the essence of your question is, would I recommend to people to mm -hmm. uh, go into PT school? Is that there is a financial aspect, and that's important, and it's you know huge, and people should carefully consider that. Of course, there is, the, but that's the, not the only element that people uh, should consider when they're choosing a profession. So, for me personally, I would not choose any any other profession just because of, um, you know, they working in the healthcare field, particularly in a in a non-surgical area. Uh, and and you know, just looking at you, you you you're you're affecting people's lives in in a lot of very positive ways by. Uh, approaching it holistically and you know physical therapy education provides these tools that people then can take and further involve um, so there is that element that you know people who are dedicated and they want to work in the healthcare system and help people who are at risk or sick uh, then then physical therapy I think is an excellent profession but of course the financial aspects cannot be ignored there um, so everybody should should make their own decisions. I mean, I have seen that uh, there are courses, DPT courses that are two year, and the majority of them mm -hmm. being online. That you know, there is that there. is that one of those is uh, evidence in motion. They started that one. Of, is, is that one you're familiar? Yeah, I think with? they started one in uh, Tennessee, and also mm -hmm. there is uh, Tufts University is developing. Okay. Um, um, and and again, we'll see what the cost of those yeah. uh, will be. Hopefully, it will be less. Uh, but uh, but that's obviously one element. Um, of course, and then there is the other part. If you don't become a PT, then then what are the other choices? And there are mm -hmm. much worse choices there in terms <laughs> of uh, putting a lot of money in university education and then you know being unemployed or uh, underpaid for a long time. So one yeah. good thing about PT is that historically there there has been you know very good employment opportunities, but you know the, the salaries have not kept up. Yeah. Uh, with, the, with the cost of education. Um, so it goes back to being loud and it goes back <clears> to you know, reform and healthcare reform and making sure that some of the money is diverted from treatment that are low value, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether that is to deal with a problem that was preventable or, uh, or, or utilizing treatments that are expensive with you know, a lot of side effects and diverting some of these funds towards uh, evidence-based uh, uh, treatments that are, are effective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I always use that language to, to kind of, I guess, again, I'll stay a little on the controversial side of sometimes when people, what they think of physical therapy in America, uh, physio and other, almost every, in every other country in the world, um, I don't know why that name change is a thing. Uh, do you know why that? <laughs> no. Um, so, and, and I've tried to move away from physical therapy because I'm marketing to Americans for the most part. And again, uh, the term physical therapy is associated with the common experience. We'll call it McDonald's physical therapy of mm. hot packs, electrical stimulation, ultrasound, maybe a little massage. And, and again, maybe a little exercise, maybe you get three exercises, that kind of thing. So, Again, to me, it's almost criminal. I think there should be like malpractice. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay using that strong of language when people tell me, you know, oh yeah, I did, you know, I had back pain and they put me on electricity stim. So again, when it comes back to the evidence, um, you know, again, we're, we're going on a different path a little bit here, but uh, you know, it comes down to sometimes you, you, you can sit in bed or you can watch, sit and watch Netflix and your back pain will resolve in six weeks, right? The, mm -hmm. the research kind of says that, but you're by going into a clinic, getting heat, stim, electricity, that kind of thing. Um, again, to me, it's, it's, we could be doing so much more. We, no one's looking at your, and, and, and this is where, where I come in again, and I've worked with people who, no one's looked at their breath, 
their breathing pattern, which to me is fixes so many things. Um, you know, again, I've, I've, I've given out free advice to people of, Hey, like my back's been hurting. It's when I drive, I'm doing this burpee thing. And you know, I'm like, well, let's take a look at, at a couple things. And I always look at breathing first. And if they're not breathing very well, I get them to breathe a little bit more into their belly and lo and behold, in my experience for whatever that's worth, again, when we talk about evidence-based practice in the second model of, you know, one third is what evidence says, one third is clinician experience and one third is patient expectations and, and, and things like that. So, uh, but yeah, I've just seen it work time and time again, where I say, Hey, like just breathe a little deeper into your belly, like five times a day. And, you know, kind of like the McKenzie model of just, just, you get a little ownership, you're bending back um, and you feel better like lo and behold. So anyway, that was my little, my little rant and rave real quick. Sorry for that, Evangelist. No, but you're bringing a, a, a very important point there because we talked about the uh, political system, I guess, in some ways mm -hmm. and how this has failed uh, producing a healthcare system that is, you know, optimal and effective and frequently is quite nonsensical. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, there is, there is a, a and, and, and there are people who take advantage of that. So, you know, if you're getting reimbursed for ultrasound uh, and hot packs, then, you know, you hire people with a PT license and then yeah. you, it becomes a McDonald's practice. Uh, yeah. So, um, but there is, there is a big uh, responsibility of the profession there. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, academia included. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there is, uh, uh, the low value treatments that are being promoted because they're easy. And, and again, they, 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 rep that, that harms their reputation. Mm -hmm. So like you, I have people, you know, um, tell me that, well, I tried physical therapy right. and it doesn't work. And then that's, they, that's my favorite. They, <laughs> yep. And then they, you know, their understanding of physical therapy, again, you know, that because that's the experience that they had was that. You go to a clinic and then they put these passive treatments on you. Of course, this mm -hmm. doesn't know that ultrasound largely doesn't work in the last 100 years. Yet people right. So I'm with you that you know, I'm angry about that, that that's well, still you know, what's happening well, out there. That's, that's the analogy, uh, the McDonald's analogy of people saying, I don't like restaurants because I tried McDonald's and it wasn't you know, phenomenal. Um, yeah. It's like, well, there's yeah. other restaurants. There's you know, the per se's and... And I don't know a good one in Australia. Um, I'm sure there. I know I, I've seen a few uh, Anthony Bourdain episodes of when he was in Australia. I don't remember the restaurants though. Um, but yeah, so it, it's that exact thing of like we need to differentiate ourselves. But but that's the problem. Yeah, again, I, I, you know, I've I've gone past trying to solve that problem. I don't know if there are ways we can solve it. Uh, again, I, I come from Brooklyn and down in Brighton Beach area, uh, where again there's all this Medicare fraud. Uh, where people are taking advantage of these situations and the way that my understanding is they'll build up a case over multiple years and they'll only kind of, you know, pounce on those clinics after there's been $10 million in fraud. And at this That's point, right. you know, those people, uh, the, the patients have gone through however much unnecessary lack of progress um, when again, they could be, Hey, let's do a few of these exercises. Let's breathe better. Let's work on your scar that nobody's ever touched. Um, you know, and, and to me, like I just, you know, moved here three weeks ago. I made a, I, I made a good connection. Um, I got a client and, and, and they are very involved. They have their own kind of business and everything, uh, that has to do with body work and no one's ever touched her scars. And, and I'm like, again, let me, let, let's try this thing. Crazy thing. Uh, and again, uh, for anyone who's not familiar, a scar can be a lot like a wrinkle in a shirt. And if we can, you know, iron out that wrinkle, the shirt tends to work a little better. So in my experience, um, stuff like that not being addressed, again, I don't know where, from what I understand, the research supports scar management, breathing, incorporating that into some of these low back pain treatments and things like that. Dog is playing with ball. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> so anyway, that's a good way to uh, take me off of that angry uh a thing like no, that but, but you're rightfully angry and i think we should remain angry because a lot of things need to change yeah. in the profession but also more broadly yeah so uh we were we were we were touching on on those things so the cost salary uh so one other thing i guess question is again australia versus america two of the main criticisms especially now 
that I've seen more recently are of physical therapy education, not addressing therapeutic exercise enough, progressions, regressions, lateralizations, if you will. A, is that therapeutic exercise. B, is the business side of it, where again, as much as I enjoyed my time at Long Island University for the fantastic professors, personalities we had, um, uh, you know, and the education I did receive, um, there was definitely, again, like I had to go and spend a lot more money and continue education. I'm still struggling with, uh, and whereas chiropractors, for instance, seemingly, you know, either they're just innate and there's some kind of built in, uh, you know, filtration system, if you will, of they're much better entrepreneurs versus now there is a, a growing cash-based PT. Um, we, we feel like we're doing it pretty well. So, so those are the, the questions, I guess. Is there anything changing in terms of, and, and at the end of the day, I'll, I'll, I'll give this to anyone listening, is physical therapy programs, I assume there's a lot of pressure to have good pass rates for the board exams so that you, know, you can say, hey, we had 100% pass rate of our, of our students. So that's something very valuable. Um, but uh, I guess, yeah, the question comes back to, can we do better? I, I, going into physical therapy school, I knew I wanted to be in sports and orthopedics. I think, I, I, I think, I, I think you were in on my uh, physical therapy interview for school. I think I remember that. And I remember you telling me uh, my math GRE was way too good. I'm not sure I don't want to be like a mathematician or do something with math because my GRE for math was very good. I remember that, but- Well, you're a bright guy, and I identified that early <laughs> on. <so. laughs> um, I appreciate that. But but at the same time, I knew I wanted to be in sports and orthopedics. And again, for me learning, you know, uh, all these other courses, which are valuable, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't need to know everything about every stage of child development and, and pediatrics and neurology, our program specifically was very strong on neurology. And I did struggle with it to be fair, because I just, I wasn't as motivated and passionate about the neurology side and where the levels of decussation are along, you know, the, the, the spinal tract. So, so coming back to the original question, sorry for my rant is, is yeah, with RPT programs addressing um, sorry, I got something in my throat there. Um, are they addressing um, therapeutic edu- therapeutic exercises yeah. more intense? And again, I know we touched on it. I can recall some of those lectures, but I would say not nearly enough um, for what I wanted to do. But that's not everyone. We had 20 people. We had a nice small class. So not all 20 wanted to be in sports and ortho. So I understand that side of it. But are we t- touching on therapeutic exercise and uh, more the the cash based PT entrepreneur, even insurance side of it, it whether you're going to be in those kind of programs where I feel like it was touched upon, you could only learn so much in an academic program. But yeah, sorry if that's a little all over the place, but that's my no, no. But again, very good question. So uh, maybe starting with the easier one is uh, are things changing? Yes, they are changing. Probably not as fast as we would like. And yes, there has traditionally been a lack of education on the business aspects for PTs. Um, again, not universally. There are there are some uh, programs that do it better. So at Macquarie University here, you know, in Sydney, they have a doctor of physical therapy program, and they do uh, have a you know the, a very strong part of it. A, a good part of it is on business, um, especially since in Australia, you know, uh, probably about half of of the graduates they end up. Uh, opening their own practice or practice and, and, and a lot earlier, I would say, based on my observations from what happens in the United States. Um, and then there is the therapeutic exercise part, um, which there are historical reasons. So I think, you know, as a profession, we have moved away from therapeutic exercises for a variety of reasons, you know, uh, but also because uh, going back to reimbursement, that's not something that is reimbursed very well, right? Um, but I do think now there is a movement in, in uh, physiotherapy education, I mean, certainly in Australia, and I would assume in the United States, of expanding on this. So I think you you had the therapeutic exercise course, you know. We did. The uh, I think I think you taught it. Oh. I'm pretty sure you taught it. Or Marshall, you and Marshall, or you, Mike, Marshall, something like that. <laughs> it was usually Wing who was teaching that, but maybe in your year it was different. Uh, you know, again, they people taking sabbaticals that kept changing. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, it's a very big chapter. There, there are whole professions that are learning mm-hmm. mainly about exercising. Um, 
but I do think that that you're absolutely right that in physiotherapy education we should try to reclaim some of this territory uh, back into the, yeah. the physical therapy education, but also uh, in our practice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll add to that a recent study I read and uh, Evidence in Motion did a webinar at the beginning of the lockdown last year uh, where they surveyed folks, uh, the general public about who would they go to for low back pain, which is the most common uh, musculoskeletal issue. 80% uh, of folks are affected throughout their life, you know, normal statistics that get thrown out, thrown around. But physical therapists were fourth or fifth of providers, mm -hmm. you know, behind chiropractors, orthopedic, and chiropractors did a fantastic job of saying back pain, chiro, back pain, chiro, we do the spine, like they did a great job of that, right? As a profession, um, orthopedic surgeons is the next one where again, the APTA has had the get PT first. And again, I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, saving money on MRIs, saving money on x-rays. In my experience, when anyone asks me like, hey, I have this thing, I might go get this first, I might go get that, I say, let's save your time money even if insurance is paying for it that's costing the system money even if it's not costing you money but it's a waste of time to me again obviously we want to rule out anything more serious but mris are not going to change a significant amount of what you and i do of you know which exercises we're looking at how well do you hinge how well do you breathe how well do you squat how well do you do single leg squat how well do you do these things so MRIs don't do much for that. MRIs are a snapshot. They can tell us what the damage is. But then, uh, again, there there is this little push that, again, I want to make sure we're screaming from the rooftop of something mm -hmm. like degenerative disc disease uh, is no longer an accepted term. It's still used, unfortunately. But I, be I believe it was uh, either, I want to say, BJSM or a, a, a significant uh, medical organization basically said a term like degenerative disc disease is more detrimental than it is useful because A, again, we can't change much about that. B, it's like saying you have wrinkles, which is a normal part of aging. Um, and C, there's no correlation to actual symptomology or, or functionality. So you can have degenerative disc disease, but as soon as somebody hears that, it's a scary thing. And then they, mm -hmm. they start to have this nocebo effect, if you will, uh, of a negative kind of mental impact uh, by being told you have this diagnosis. And again, that's another major problem with the, I would say, physical therapy education. Sorry again to go on this little rant, but uh, is a lot of, and, and I don't know if you've seen the Level Up initiative. Have you seen those guys on, on, on the social media? The Level Up initiative? No. Uh, so they're doing a pretty good job of, they do these little mock videos of like a, a, a new grad. They're really targeting to new grads. And so uh, uh, one I saw the other day of it's easy to, you know, as a PT, and it's something that I think we do very badly. And part of it goes to trying to identify too many things. So you walk out of sometimes you go into a PT clinic and you walk out with 17 things wrong with you. You're breathing wrong, uh, mm -hmm. which I just did right now, uh, you know, in terms of that. But you're you have too much anterior pelvic tilt. You have a tight psoas. You have plantar, you know, you're, you're, you're not mobilizing the bottom of your foot enough. You, you don't have enough extension of your first MTP. Uh, all these things and you walk away and you're overwhelmed versus saying, you know, hey, like you did pretty good with that and some kind of positives, at least. It's very easy to focus on, oh, I, I as a clinician, as a new grad especially, you want to come in there and be like, hey, I identified this, that, that, and, and you know, like, and, and you feel like more of a doctor and you're justified in, in if you walk away saying, I, I identified all these things and I told him everything. And then someone has to say like, hey, that patient who's a human being walked away with 17 things that's wrong with them when they came in with back pain, right? And they're mm -hmm. like, just fix my back pain. And that's where chiropractors can do a little pop. Hey, you feel better? Good. It doesn't matter that, again, we've not identified what the root cause is. And again, sorry, I'm, I'm just, I can, I can rant and rave on this concept for a while, but I guess the, the question comes back to, we talk, touched on Therax, why, uh, you know, I'm sure you're, you know, we're, we're going to move in a better direction, but is it being led more by the research uh, and what the research says and then academic programs eventually integrating that or? Well, no, I think the issue, yeah, frequently, I mean, that's how it should be that obviously we should be teaching evidence-based and if there are things that, and, and that has happened. So, you know, uh, here at the University of Sydney, we have shrunk the therapeutic modalities part mm -hmm. so much that now it has become a, 
an online module basically uh well you know uh, it used to be in physiotherapy education it's 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 course so there was a course in therapeutic modalities so there is this shift where you know the the relative uh, uh attention that is paid into different therapeutic approaches changes uh based on the evidence and again you know ultrasound and hot packs and a lot of, of, of the uh, passive modalities have gradually be taking less space in the mm -hmm. curricula. Um, of course, on the other hand, you know, there's all these new things that uh, physical therapists are, are, are highly relevant to and starting from AI, you know, into uh, prevention and, and, and mm -hmm. coaching, uh, health coaching and so on and so forth, and which again are very exciting and they're taking relatively more space in physiotherapy curricula mm -hmm. nowadays. Um, but yeah, you know, you 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 you're obviously, as we said before, you're loud and passionate about those things, and rightfully so. Uh, but and breathing is important, so maybe it's a good opportunity to remind anybody who's listening that now maybe a good time to take a deep breath in and out, in and through the nose, out. out through the mouth, into right. the belly, into the <laughs> belly. I I, I want to jump in and say before I forget this one, and I'm I don't remember if it was you. Uh, who said this when we were in physical therapy school, but it is an axiom that, that gets thrown around of half of the things you learn mm. in medical school or PT school are wrong uh, eventually, and we're gonna prove they're wrong in a few years. Um, like, again, we did learn about some of these therapeutic modalities like ultrasound, things like that. Uh, at the time though, we don't know which half is wrong. And they're not, we're not, we can't identify that. So, but because research is changing all the time and we've seen it with the COVID, uh, situation as people start to hopefully understand a little more of the science. Science is constantly evolving. Science, you know, when they say, hey, like this is something new and or this is something we need to develop and, and do clinical studies on, um, that's the process of science. Like science is constantly changing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I did want to jump in with that of saying, uh, you know, some, I, I remember, I, I, actually, I don't even remember it was the coil, the thermo something that like we learned, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, one of Diathermy. the therapeutic modalities, huh? Diathermy? Yes, that one. That I was like, I don't think I need to know about that because um, I don't think it's going to last. And and that was <laughs> that was one of those that we had to know for a test. And, and at the same time, uh, I've never even come close to, uh, you know, touching. Sure. And I, it's that's, still something. That's, that's progress. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because I have uh, had to learn how to use it, and I had to use it initially. But yeah. again, you know, I'm a bit older than you, so so again, <laughs> that demonstrates uh, how things work. Again, the progress is not as fast as we would like, but it is moving in the right direction. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, and you touched upon a lot of really good things. Again, probably we don't have time uh, to reiterate those, but yeah, imaging is a very uh, it, it's probably a good example of a lot of money and resources going into an area that, mm -hmm. that is essential in certain cases. And of course, imaging has uh, made uh, diagnosis a, a lot faster and easier and much more accurate. But uh, yeah, everybody would like the garden variety of low back pain uh, mm -hmm. going to like a $1,000 MRI uh, is, is not a good use of resources, particularly if it's then used to say, because you know, if, if all of us have an MRI, something there will yeah come up as not perfect right and then just is it is it just to for anyone listening i mm -hmm. think the classic study is if you took 100 asymptomatic people walking down the street uh 72 of them would have some kind of uh abnormality on their mri that most surgeons would look at and say i need to cut that open but these are people who are completely normally functioning have mm -hmm. no complaints have no pain so i right. and i i still remember that from uh, I'm sure there's similar research that's been done since then, but I remember that from our days in, in physical therapy school that 72 out of 100 folks will have significant abnormalities. Um, and, and again, that's just normal signs of aging. Again, being in the sports model a little bit, you know, you can see tons of athletes uh, who had labral tears in their shoulder and still pitched a perfect game or they can perform really well with these problems going on that if we look at it under a textbook, we have to say, oh, we need to fix that. Uh, but again, it comes back to stepping back, looking at the human, looking at the clinical presentation, if you will. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I think that, well, you know. That's, that's, mm -hmm. that's the other axiom there that you treat the patient and not the imaging, right? Mm -hmm. and, and there is a lot of confirmation that there is a lot of 
false positives in imaging. Right. Uh, again, you know, going back and we were talking about books before, they, there is a, a surgeon here in Sydney who is, again, somewhat controversial within his profession. He's an orthopedic surgeon, and, and his name is Ian Harris. And he wrote a book uh, that talks uh, exactly about uh, the lack of evidence for a lot of the orthopedic procedures and, uh, you know, um, and, but but he's a very evidence-based surgeon, you know, yep. so he does a lot of these RCTs uh, that he's mm -hmm. generally interested in finding out what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of the evidence behind low back surgery, you know, because I, I guess the tragedy is that there is this patient who has low back pain, goes to have an MRI against the guidelines, you know, right. unless they have a red flag or they were in a serious accident, they probably mm -hmm. don't need any advanced imaging. And then the the low back pain for whatever reason you know is not getting better. Now they have a diagnosis, you know, have a prolapsed disc or whatever mm -hmm. it may be, that then creates this you know additional response. Um, and and they want to cut, you know, they want to make it perfect. Um, right. Then eventually they are convincing themselves that surgery is the right path. Uh, mm -hmm. While the evidence is pointing out that actually these are very bad candidates for surgery. They do worse. And let's all remember that that surgery is not reversible. Yeah, you know? um, that's and that's the language I use with a lot of my clients and patients when we start discussing surgery is let's try these things before you go to surgery. You can always have the surgery later. Mm -hmm. Like it's the surgeons aren't going anywhere. Um, <laughs> they're going to be there. Uh, but I say, yeah, like let's try to do some mm -hmm. of these exercises or some scar management or some breathing work or whatever simple stuff we do or let, but again, if you haven't tried, you know, people say, I, again, I tried physical therapy and it didn't work. So I'm ready for surgery. It's like you ha you tried McDonald's. You didn't try this really good barbecue place that I'm recommending, you know, around the corner. Like that's the place you need to go to. Um, so, so yeah, but I, I mean, would say even, even more, because I think, uh, you know, I think that's a great analogy, but, but so probably even, I think most people who go to McDonald's, they realize that there is a spectrum of, restaurants and this is reflected on the price right so I, I don't to, think that happens in physical therapy though i think people legitimately exactly. say yeah so so you're right, right. i mean no, it, it might not be the best analogy no no i think it's a, it's a good analogy initially but then you know the uh, the additional element of complexity <laughs> in physical physical therapy is that you go to the clinic that is referred you, you refer to or right or it's convenient to go to not knowing where it is in the spectrum of McDonald's right. to like a Michelin restaurant. Right, right. Uh, and then that's your experience. And, you know, mm -hmm. unlike food where you eat, you know, three times a day and you sample, you can sample a few different restaurants, people have a much more limited exposure to physical therapy. So then if they had, you know, low back pain twice and they had twice that experience of ultrasound mm -hmm. and hot packs, then for them, that is physical therapy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, that that's something that we as a profession have to take a very, a yeah. very close look. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't think we're going to solve that, that today, um, <laughs> but um, I wish we could. Um, but I did before we. I, I, I'll try to respect your time here and uh, finish on the hour. We're at fifty-two minutes in a, in a few seconds here. Uh, ACL injuries, another area of uh, your expertise. Yes, that. Um, well, that I, is my area of expertise. I yes. don't claim any expertise for the other <laughs> things we discussed earlier. So please take them with a grain of salt. I mean, probably a little bit in a PT education, but yeah, anything about healthcare systems or imaging, there are way smarter and more educated people in, in this area than me. Uh, but ACL, and then so, and there are more, you know, educated and smarter people in ACL too. But I do have some expertise in this area, some with personal, just like you, Bo, uh, mm -hmm. but also uh, a lot of them, the majority of my research is on ACL injuries. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't believe we went for 53 or 54 just minutes without touching upon that. I guess that's how uh, many interesting topics that we have <laughs> discussed after all these years. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, we, we can we can do we can do a whole another episode on just we'll ACL. Part two, just on ACL. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, okay, we'll give a break to the listeners for a few <laughs> weeks, and then then we'll uh, reappear. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, there is a lot of exciting things happening in ACL, and we don't have time to touch upon all of those. Just two main things, just because they're very recent, and I remember them. Uh, one is that a, a an RCT. You know, they again the big question is. I had an ACL injury. Do I need surgery? Right. Okay. So sorry. Sorry. Um, I'm going to jump in. And for the listener not familiar, 
RCT is randomized controlled trial, which is one of the highest levels of evidence, short of right. the meta, meta analysis, which looks at multiple RCTs and tries to synthesize that data. But mm -hmm. RCT is kind of the gold standard for, uh, you know, having control yeah. group and an experimental group. And so, so that just, just for the listener real quick. Okay. That's a great point. You know, that's the trial where you randomly assign people to groups. So, you know, they, they, uh, and the du the double blind being the 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 gold standard yeah, there, where the, I, even the the researcher doesn't know who is in what group. This is not always possible when we're doing sham acupuncture or or sham you know that kind of thing. But but or sham like uh, you know uh, spinal manipulation. But bottom mm -hmm. line is uh, yeah, there's a lot of problems with research, which again enough for another day. Uh, but I want I want to come back and just now that we have a little bit of that language established. Yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, and, and ACL is the anterior cruciate ligament, you know, both me and Bob are very passionate about this type of did, did, did you also Did you also tear? I forgot, I, I think I remember, mm. but. Three years before you, yeah, ah, okay. I tore my ACL too. Yeah. So again, it's a quite common injury and, and mm -hmm. somewhat devastating, you know, quite frequently. So one, one uh, uh, question that frequently comes up is I had an ACL injury, do I need surgery or can I try uh, uh, rehabilitation? Um, and you would think that there is, you know, this vast literature to look into that. However, there are only two published trials. The Canon that has been going on for some time now, they're closer to the 10 year follow-up, I believe. Um, and they, and it found no differences. So if you randomly assign people to surgery, to early surgery, or try physical therapy first for, you know, a few weeks, and then you can always have the surgery later, then if you uh, compare these two groups, they, 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 in, in the uh, Canon trial, there was largely no differences. Just a couple of days ago, the COMPARE trial from the Netherlands came up, uh, came out, and, and that was published at PMJ. Nicely done trial. Um, again, it found uh, very similar findings that uh, th there are some domains where uh, the surgical group did slightly better, but not crossing the clinical mm. significance. Um, so I want to jump in and yep. say, because I, I looked at a lot of the, uh, as much research as I could back in 2008 when I had my my tear and was debating on surgery. Um, and the same thing, a friend of mine last year tore his Achilles, mm. similar, I don't know how much you've looked into the Achilles research, but a full Achilles rupture. So when it comes to, and, and the term becomes copers, somebody who yep. can cope with a torn ACL ligament, because there are other muscles that can do the job sort of, of the ACL. Um, and so you can maybe, again, improve patterns. And and as long, bottom line, uh, the takeaway for me is if you want to be relatively high level athletic, uh, the surgery is going to serve you better. So that's different than the what the research says, if I may. Uh, again, you're the expert here on the research side of it. Sorry, the dog is, again, playing there. Um, but in terms of what the research says, I think in terms of outcomes, we're, they're looking at kind of standardized functional outcomes and, and how satisfied are you with your knee performance or your Achilles, you know, performance and how much you can participate in sports or other activities. So versus usually, again, my understanding, what I've seen of those research studies is uh, it's not all athletic populations. Right. So usually oh, rarely not high level athletic. So again, right. some of the challenges with these RCTs is that you need a lot of people to come into the trial. Not right. everybody agrees to to participate. Mm -hmm. So again, neither one of these two trials that currently exist uh, uh, concentrated on high level athletes. So the answer, uh, what you're saying, is very logical. I think right. you know if you are have a multi million contract and you. Well, no, I don't even mean to... I don't even mean high level to that extent. I'm talking about someone like myself. I tore it when I was 25. I tore my ACL when I was 25. My friend is was in his 40s, um, and exactly. and he but he was very active, and he wanted to remain as active as possible. He tore it in a pickup basketball game, uh, and even in his 40s, he said, "I wanna I wanna get back to jumping on boxes and playing basketball." So he decided to have the surgery, despite a lot of what I saw about the Achilles research. I said, "Hey, like you should be able to do pretty good not having mm -hmm. the surgery." And he said, I don't want to lose that extra step. So a, a lot of it comes down to, so I don't, I don't know if that, that 
Well, but that, you know, is exactly what we're advocating that, you know, people should be making this decision and it's fine to go surgically or non-surgically mm -hmm. as long as they have all the facts in front of them. So right. a few things that circulate in the ACL world and are wrong is A, that surgery is going to prevent you from having osteoarthritis. Again, multiple studies on that, they have all shown that, that having an ACL reconstruction does not decrease the chances of developing right. the osteoarthritis. Um, yeah, we talked about it uh, before our call, uh, we started live here. And back when I looked at it, uh, if you have an ACL reconstruction, which is what I had, uh, you have an 80% chance of developing arthritis over an extended period of time, over the course of your, your life. Again, I had it at 25 and I'm, I was, I'm determined. And another reason that led me to a lot of this lifestyle uh, style uh, of, of, of practice is for my own sake of avoiding arthritis down the line and extending my longevity. And, you know, when people ask me, why do I back squat 400 pounds? It's because I want to be able to be more fit and more active when I'm 90 years old and avoiding some of those, you know, and arthritis is not a death sentence by any means, but you know, it's, it's something we want to got the ball again. Uh, it's something we want to avoid. Yeah, no, excellent. Yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly right. Um, and then, you know, maybe, and then maybe it's appropriate to close with a little bit of self-promotion. The other study <laughs> that just came out at uh, the journal of uh, uh, JSAMS, at the, the sports medicine journal here in Australia that we published in our group, uh, led by Andrew Gamble. So a very bright uh, new PPT and researcher is uh, looking, we did a meta-analysis, you know, again, talking about the different uh, uh, levels of evidence. And, and it's shocking how little research there is on looking at the effects of PT after an ACL reconstruction. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there is a lot of the research is all outdated. They don't utilize some of the new protocols. And, and you know, uh, in some ways, understandably, it showed no, the studies that have been published showed no difference uh, that, you know, the intensive uh, PT does not uh, particularly improve the outcomes compared to a lesser supervised uh, PT protocol. Uh, but again, that's another area, you know, and hopefully we continue on a, on a, on a <laughs> positive note here. Awesome. Um, if you are a PT and uh, have a lot of energy, there is a lot of areas where we need you to jump into research and try to change practice. Uh, one of them is looking at the effects of uh, physical therapy and different physical therapy protocols uh, after ACL reconstruction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's an area I've definitely kept up with. Um, one interesting thing that I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole right now as we're wrapping up, but uh, PRP for ACL, I mean, I haven't seen it do very much positive. I don't know if the research is, is saying anything differently, but uh, I, do, I do have a lot of people ask me about that. Again, the only thing I've seen PRP, which is platelet-rich plasma, where they take your own blood out, they centrifuge it, they take the plasma-rich portion, um, and that's the kind of healing factors within your own blood that will naturally eventually get to your, your injured area of your body, but they eventually, um, they, they, you're, you're concentrating it. So theoretically you're speeding up the recovery. The only place that, again, I think the research shows it, it really helps is some kind of tendon stuff mm -hmm. going on. Otherwise they, they've used it for a lot of other stuff uh, and they charge a decent amount of money. And usually the, the question comes down to, do you want to risk a thousand dollars or whatever it is? Cause, cause it might, it, it doesn't have a lot of side effects. Again, it's your own blood. It's very safe. But no, but there is a side effect when it's injected in the joint. You know, there's always mm. the risk of, of infection and other yeah. things. So, yeah, I mean, just, and, and, and Twitter has been uh, very active on, on this area. All the orthopedic surgeons are debating the pros and cons. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's a very expensive treatment. And when it goes into preventing osteoarthritis, for example, or accelerating yeah. healing for the majority of the musculoskeletal injuries, the evidence is just not there. Yeah. And the other interesting thing I'll say real quick is, and again, I was at the hospital for special surgery in 2008 when uh, PRP, platelet-rich plasma, was becoming much more of a thing. It was becoming a trend. And you could go to 10 different surgeons or orthopedists, and they would have 10 different protocols for what was involved in that process. So I think it hasn't really improved much since 2008 in terms of there's just not a lot of great uh, protocols, if you will, for platelet-rich plasma. I, we meant to leave it on a positive note. Sorry if I got negative there. Um, so, 
let's let's leave it with uh, I, I think we could certainly dive deeper into uh, research all the different aspects of of clinical research what we can take away from it how much emphasis we as clinicians should put on what is currently in the research um, that's something that's super interesting to me and I have a journal club as I mentioned uh, mm -hmm. I don't remember if that was on air or off air but um, you know, and, and stuff like that. So research is super interesting to me in general and its application and where it fits into our, our schemata, if you will. <laughs> and, uh, so, and that's one, uh, another one we can definitely dive deeper into ACL next time. I'm just kind of making these mm -hmm. mental notes for myself. We touched on AI. That's a super interesting one. I mentioned mm -hmm. yep. I'm listening to, to a book about that right now. So where can folks find out more about Evangelos Papas? Tell us where, uh, you're at. So currently I'm at the University of Wollongong. So uh, yeah, I don't know where they, why they would want to find out <laughs> more about me. I think I told you everything that I know in this podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, our, our paper, so that we know they, if you look me up at Google Scholar, there's a, our publications are there. So uh, if anybody has an interest in uh, taking a closer look into our research, I'm happy to, you know, they're happy to email me. Uh, and then I'm happy to send the PDFs to them and we uh, are open to a lot of feedback. Uh, Twitter is at EVPapas with double P. Uh, and I think that's pretty much all my social media presence. Uh, Go find him, guys. Bother him. Send him questions about the ACL or anything else. PT education. I get a lot of questions about PT education. And I think it's great to have a resource like you. And again, I'm grateful for kind of that team of professors we had in uh, at LIU. And so I'm going to play you so out. With... Including the students. So yeah, please play uh, the top song. Yeah. I love it when you call them Big Papas. That's that's the song. Right. I would sing that every time. So guys, uh, thank you again, Evangelos. And hopefully we can we can do this again. And yes, uh, he is, for those wondering, uh, we didn't address this, but uh, from the Greek, from the Greek, Evangelos, that's Greek right. man. And so uh, exactly. I still say, and I, it always kind of tickles me when I say uh, the latissimus dorsi, like I say it in that. Um, you you yeah. say it the right way. Latissimus dorsi. Yeah, so you have to say it with that emphasis. Um, so anyway, signing off, guys. Hope you enjoyed this one. Again, I, this was one of my more fun conversations. Uh, great catching up. And you can stay on. We're going to end it here. Peace.